Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. I had to learn a lot about forgiveness because I spent a couple years really angry. I knew it was going to destroy me. And I really had to dig deep and find out how in the world do I forgive this. This is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast that brings you a range of tools and stories to heal from tough life situations. Today, we're talking with one of my favorite country music singer-songwriters, Radney Foster. His songs are moving stories, and some of them were born out of heartbreak. In fact, you'll discover one of the toughest moments in his life was when he was separated from his five-year-old son by an ocean. You'll also discover what Radney did with that heartbreak, how he stayed connected to his child, and how he resolved the anger. So if you've ever had a heartbreak yourself, you'll want to keep listening. Before we hear from Radney, let me share something with you that might change your life. You've been through tough times in your life. We all have. But there's a powerful truth. Your stories will reveal wisdom that you don't know you possess. The question now is, where do you start? There's a simple, tested step-by-step flow for discovering your life theme and putting your life into a beautiful story. A story that allows you to be the best possible version of yourself. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookman.com webinar. Love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome singer songwriter Radney Foster. Tell me about your new book. Is this your very first book for you to see the stars? Yes, it is. It's my first book of. Uh of it's not the first I've written. I mean, I had written mostly journalistic stuff, but it's certainly my first attempt at fiction. And I love the way you put words together. It's really a gift, obviously born out in your songs and your storytelling in your songs. Tell me about the process of writing this book and how that idea came to you. Well, it it actually started with uh, sort of an existential crisis for me. I had pneumonia and laryngitis so bad that I had to cancel three months worth of gigs wow. and c- literally couldn't talk for about six weeks. And then so once that six weeks was over, I still had to go through sort of physical therapy to have enough strength and stamina to sing again. You can't just go all out. To, OK, great. I'm healed. I can go sing for, you know, an hour and a half. Right. That was a really scary process. And during the depths of it, I told my wife, I wrote, literally wrote a note and said, I think there's a short story in that song, Sycamore Creek. And I had written the song. It was a story song. It is a story song. It's on the, it's the last song on the record and the last story in the book. And so I had basically thought, you know, I'll do this just to keep from going crazy because I, I started thinking, what if I never, what if I never sing again? How do I define this? What do I do if I don't get my voice back? And so I wrote the short story and uh, handed it to my wife and she read it. She was a journalist for many, many years and a magazine editor. And so when I handed it to her, there was a lot of fear and intrepidation then. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, she said, it's really good. You know, you need to continue 
to write this way, even when, even, even when you get your voice back. And I did in that, in that year, I, that first year I wrote five pieces of short fiction. And by the end of that year, I also knew that I, I had the idea of a book of short fiction as a companion piece to the record. Mm-hmm. And I got a hold of about, I don't know, three or four literary agents through friends. I have a friend who's a novelist, Judy O'Brien, who's written young adult and women's fiction for many, many years. And she read the stuff, loved it and sent it to her agent. And then a couple other friends, same type of thing. I knew they'd written books or memoirs or, you know, said, yeah, I love this. I'll pass it on to my agent. So, and all three agents said, these are great. Call us when you have a novel because we can't make any money on short fiction. But I met Sherry Smith, who is a, an essayist and, an, and a nonfiction writer, a tremendous, really well-respected Southern writer, because she has a project called Trio, which is a, an art, book, and song project that travels the country. Every year, she hands a book to, I, I guess, around 15 different songwriters and artists, and she'll hand each one a book. So there'll be 15 books and then you know 15 songs written inspired by the book and 15 pieces of art made inspired by the book. And then that show will travel to bookstores all over the country. It's really cool. Oh, wow. That's neat. Yeah, it's really neat. And it's really sponsored by the Southern Independent Booksellers Association. And it's about selling books. I mean, I realized mm-hmm. that. Right. But it was a joy. I got to read Bull Mountain by Brian Panowich, which is just, I, I can't recommend highly enough. You know, it's just a fantastic, if you like that Southern Gothic multi-generational kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Th- that guy's your man. It's a really great book. She asked me, you know, if I would do it, she got my info through a mutual friend. And then I said, well, you know, I also write short fiction. Would you be willing to, you know, read something? And of course you could just hear the dread over the phone. I mean, she, <laughs> I, I, said, I say in the forward of the book, I said, you know, Sherry would make a terrible poker player, just right. awful. You know, <laughs> sure. I'll, read something yeah (laughs) so but i heard back from her about three days later and she cussed me out and said you can write a pretty sentence you know (laughs) you actually know how to do this and uh she really helped me sort of self-edit a little bit in particular the story is in the book there's a story called bridge club and uh she had me read something by flannery o'connor and said texted me and said read this Call me whenever you've finished reading it. So I did. And when I finished, I called her and she read me something that she had written that was in a similar vein. And uh, and really because she was trying to get me to see it's just trying to it's what we do in, in writing is, you know, show rather than tell. And so I heard those two things and I was just incredibly moved by both stories. And then she said, OK. Now go to Bridge Club and open it up. And I did on my computer. And she said, now go to the third page, you know, fourth paragraph. And I did. And she said, now read that paragraph. And I did. And she said, now, Radney, that's as fine a paragraph as I've ever read off the page. Mm-hmm. And I said, you read a lot of people. And she said, yes, I have. And she said that you have two questions you have to answer. First one is, why is it buried on page three, paragraph four? And I said, ah, I get it. That's the lead. And she said, now, here's my next thing. She said, if you can write a paragraph that pretty, you got to write them all that pretty. Right. And her quote to me was, you've got a chance to run with the big dogs. And so I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. Go rewrite that story and send it back to me. And I took, I spent about 10 days on it. And I would send it back to her. And 
she went, look at there what you did. And that's when she offered me a book deal. What I had not known was that her publisher had told her a couple of years before, said, if you find somebody you want to publish, we'll fund your imprint. And so I'm the first book on her brand new imprint, Working Title Farm. That is awesome. You do have very pretty words. With the book and then also your songwriting, you put a lot of yourself in there. Author E.E. E. Cummings, he wrote, a poet is somebody who feels and expresses his feeling through words. And he said that the moment you feel, you're nobody but yourself. And when you express nobody but yourself in words, you're working a little bit harder than everybody else. And I think that applies to you as the songwriter that you are and, and now the author that you are. Can you tell me a, a little bit about putting yourself into your songs and what that's like? I really believe that if you're not putting yourself in there and digging around in your soul in any of your storytelling, you're doing it wrong. You have to, because I don't believe that, that there will be no believability to the song itself or to the short story or to the novel. And I forget which author it was said, if there's no tears in the author, there's no tears in the reader, no tears, you know, no, no laughter from the author, no laughter in the reader. So I think you have to, you have to go doing that. And then once you sort of figured that out, that you're not just rhyming words together, that your your job is to express the human condition as you understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, your short story, well, you know, the story Bridge Club is about one day in the life of a four-year-old boy in 1963. The short story Sycamore Creek is about, you know, three teenagers growing up in West Texas in the 1970s. But they're about more than that. I mean, you have to ask, start asking yourself, why am I even writing this? And I think you have to ask yourself that as a songwriter, too. Why am I writing this love song? Mm -hmm. What's my goal here? The, my, my favorite compliment that I've ever been given is people will say, how did you get in my living room? How did you know how I felt? How did you know who I am? And, and my reply is, obviously, I didn't. I just know how I felt. Right. And I know who. I am. The author often tells you more about themselves in their writing than they do about others. Because I view it from that direction. I, I view it as my job is to absolutely <laughs> smear as much of my soul and heart and spirit into whatever I'm doing. And you've had some really, really tough times in your life. Can you tell me about some of the hardest things you've ever experienced? I think one of, you know, obviously one of the toughest things I can mention is my oldest boy, I had had joint custody of him and following the divorce of his mother and I until he was um, four. And then um, she remarried a man from France and had made the decision to move there and take him with her. And of course, mm -hmm. a custody battle ensued and Tennessee had some really archaic and odd laws because of a bad Tennessee Supreme Court case. And she was able to take my son to France with her at five. Mm. And so I went from seeing him and I had basically done my touring so that I would, during the school year, I would be home every Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday and have him then and gone on weekends. And then, you know, offered his mother the opportunity that if I was home on a particular weekend, I would swap with her so that she would not be always with him on a weekend mm -hmm. and we worked those schedules out fairly amicably and then 
once she, re, you know, took him to, I went from seeing him basically every week to seeing him every six, you know, or if I could, and that was, if I could, you know, getting there and, right. and he would come home for holidays. But if I didn't go to France and rent a house and see him, then it was going to be, there were stretches that would be three or four months before I would, you know, before I had the opportunity to see him again. What did that do to your heart? Oh, it broke it in a million pieces, mm-hmm. obviously. I, you know, I wrote a song that was recorded by the Dixie Chicks called Godspeed, Sweet Dreams. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a lullaby. And all it was is a, I wrote him a lullaby and I put it on a cassette five or six times in a row so that he could go to he could put it in his Fisher Price big button thing, <laughs> right. you know, and, and he would go to sleep. And to his mother's credit, you know, she let him listen to it every night. So mm-hmm. I thought that was the first and last time I would record it. But then I, I played it for my manager about a year later because he and his wife were about to have a baby. And he said, Randy, that's incredible. Why have you held that back? And I said, I didn't know. I, I wrote it for Julian and then I didn't ever play it for anyone else. It's just a kid's lullaby, and I didn't know. He said, no, no, it's much deeper than that. Right. And then I recorded it, and then the Dixie Chicks ended up recording it, and millions of people all over the world have heard it. And it's been a cool comfort to me. The writing of it, I think, was a catharsis. But then seeing how it's affected other people. My oldest is now 26, and one of the cool things I didn't see coming in that song was how many moms come up to me now who are in their fifties, you know, who will tell me that I danced the mother groom dance at my son's wedding to that song because I sang it to him as a little boy. You know, when he was growing up, that was what I would sing to him to go to sleep. That's a really powerful thing to see come out of adversity. Yeah. So has that experience of of your son being taken away to not even another county or another state, but another country? Yeah, another continent. Has that changed you in any way? Oh, gosh, yeah. I think I spent, I had to learn a lot about forgiveness because I spent a couple years really angry. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to learn that really hatred only hurts you, pardon my language, but, you know, because the person you hate could give a shit. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, just the fact of the matter is it hurts you much more than it hurts whoever you hate. Right. I knew it was going to destroy me. And I really had to dig deep and find out how in the world do I forgive this? And what did you do? How did you make that change? I began by walking Radnor Lake in Nashville with my priest, my Episcopal priest. She and I are old friends. We went to college together. And who who to thunk it that she became a, an Episcopal <laughs> priest, and then who to thunk it that she is actually the priest at the church we right. go to? She's a remarkable woman named Becca Stevens, and she's an author in her own right, but also started a halfway house for women who've been trafficked mm-hmm. and been in the, a life of prostitution called Magdalene House, and she created a business that's a social enterprise that feeds the running of that and the monies that go to that called Thistle Farms. And it's a bath and beauty products company. And that entire story is a remarkable one. People should just go to like thistlefarms.org or look up Becca Stevens and check her out. But she and I walked and I really learned a lot about, I started getting some therapy, uh, talking to a Mm -hmm. guy. And the good part was I, I really 
discovered meditation in addition to prayer and really through reading some people like Thomas Merton Mm -hmm. and through my therapist really talking about anger, post-traumatic stress, all kinds of things like that. And that, you know, so I started meditating daily. There's a funny story in it that when I first started meditating, you know, you're just doing simple breathing, just concentrating on your breath. The funny thing is my therapist is a, a redneck from West Texas, just like me. He's from Midland, Odessa area, and which is the north end of West Texas, and Doria is the south end of West right. Texas. And But we had a lot that we could relate to. So I said, hey, I know that Buddhists use a mantra. And one of the things that helps me is I've got a little courtyard that's got gravel in between the pavers, and I go out there and weed, you know, just doing that while I'm meditating but i said is there a mantra that you think would work for me because you know a lot about what i'm going through and and so he said yeah i do so he said let me think for a second and he he wrote it down and i started trying that and i went back two weeks later i said man that that mantra you made up for me is working brother that thing's awesome so really been incredibly helpful and you know my meditation is going a whole lot better and i'm a lot more at peace about things and when i said that you made up for me he started cracking up (laughs) and i said what's so funny and he said i didn't make it up and i said who did he said siddhartha the buddha about 2500 years ago (laughs) i said you think there's some ancient wisdom in that he said yep I think there is. Can you share the mantra with us? Sure. It's, may I be filled with loving kindness. May I be whole. May I be humble and kind. May I be happy. Nice. So do you still meditate today? I do. I do. I meditate. I try to meditate and pray every day. I don't always accomplish it. I have a ritual and it's pretty much a combination of Buddhist and guided meditation and then prayers that really are just taken from my Christian tradition. These days, more often than not, taken from the Book of Common Prayer or from the prayer of St. Francis is really helpful Mm -hmm. for me. I love that. Randy, do you ever see yourself retiring oh hell no <laughs> <laughs> well that's good for the rest of us <laughs> yeah you know i mean i don't i could maybe see i'm we're not all willy mm-hmm. you know you do wear out at some point i could see touring having to change and i i'm seeing the cause of having written a, a piece of prose i'm proud of and and that seems to be getting a lot of acceptance i mean the kind of the reviews have been off the hook and we're selling books and records, you know, and I'm seeing that I'm going to need space and hopefully there'll be enough revenue from the book that I can go. Okay. I, I need to take a month where I don't go out Mm -hmm. and really focus and concentrate and at least get the damn thing started. Cause I know there's another book in me. I'm researching right now for a novel, you know, writing songs was always, easily woven into my touring schedule because I'd go out on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I'd come home on Sunday, and I'd kind of do business and interviews on Monday, and then I'd write songs on Tuesday and Wednesday and Mm -hmm. hit the road again, you know, and I'd shoot for writing a song a week, and I pretty much accomplished that. I usually write about 50 songs a year. Not all of them are great. Not all of them are going to see the light of day. Some of them are written with other artists and might get recorded by those Mm -hmm. people, but I like the work ethic of that. 
And I think that helped me whenever I was under deadline for this book. You know, I'd written five stories. I knew I needed to write another five at least to go with an album. And my publisher said, I really need a deadline of a year from now. And can you accomplish that? And I said, yeah, sure. I was like, all cocky. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) You know, well, it really meant that I had to have them all done by June, you know, and so that you can have be in print by September. So all of a sudden I'm having to say, okay, I got a couple hours of downtime. Whereas normally I might've said, Hey, I'm going to go eat lunch at that nice restaurant or I'm going to go to that museum or I'm going to go. There's a bass pond across the street from the hotel and I got a backpack fly rod mm-hmm. that I'm going to put together and go over there and see if I can't catch some panfish. But I was like, nope, I got to hole up in that hotel room and I got to write. I got I got to get this story finished. Mm-hmm. It was helpful. And now you're going to be on the road for the next year with the book and Correct. touring. We'll hit 80 major markets. Nice. Our listeners can find you and your schedule. Where's the best place for them to look for that? Oh, RadneyFoster.com. My tour schedule's up on there, and there we're always adding dates. And also, on the contacts, if it says to contact us, if you leave us your email in there, then we send an email out once a month telling you what new dates have been booked or what's coming up and stuff that's going on. If I'm going to be at festivals in the summertime and that kind of thing. Fabulous. Okay, one last question. How do you want to be remembered? Well, on a personal level, I want to be remembered that I was a a good father and a good husband and a good friend and true to what I really believe. Mm -hmm. But as my job, I want to be remembered as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I I really think that people could say, man, that guy could write a hell of a song that spun a yarn and kept me engaged. And then, but he also could, could write prose that sucked me in for a time period. That I couldn't put it down, you know. Well, you are certainly doing that right now. The hearts and minds of your fans and hopefully <laughs> new fans over the next year. Thank you so much for sharing yourself. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. What a great singer and storyteller. I've shared links to some of Radney's songs on the website. I'll let you know that you can get an autographed copy of his book and the companion CD from his website at RadneyFoster.com. Each of the short stories in the book have an accompanying song. It's really unique. Also, if you're a big fan of Radney's, go check out StacyBrookman.com slash RadneyFoster, and there you'll find a couple of extra questions I asked Radney. Now it's time for Stacy's journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. Everyone gets angry sometimes. Often, it's from events that are out of your control, like Radney's ex-wife taking their son to France. Radney knew that anger and hatred would destroy him, and he had to dig deep to figure out how to forgive the wrong. We've all experienced injustices, both large and small. In addition to therapy, which is incredibly helpful, Prayer and meditation provided Radney with the means to get through his emotions. This is similar to last week's guest, Ed Szewski, who's written about contemplative prayer. Doing the inner and outer work necessary to bring peace will help you overcome anger. Science backs the benefits of meditation, too. Studies have shown that brain signaling during meditation increases in the left side of the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for positive emotions, while activity decreases in the right side, responsible for negative emotions. My favorite meditation app is called Headspace. If you don't know how to meditate and want an easy way to get started, check out the Headspace app 
to build your serenity. That's all we have for today. Hey, remember you can go to RadneyFoster.com and get an autographed book and CD. Radney told me he autographs these while he's watching ball games on TV. Last episode, Ed Szewski shared his thoughts on contemplative prayer and contemplative writing. So if you need a great way to stop distracting yourself from real life and become more present in the moment, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Dr. Dan Allender, who talks about the trauma of shame and the agreements we make with ourselves to hide that shame. So if you know anyone who may have been silenced by shame, be sure to stay tuned. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. One more thing. We're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the week is Beryl Markham's West with the Night, written in 1942. When Markham flew across the Atlantic, no pilot had yet flown nonstop from Europe to New York, and no woman had made the westward flight solo. After a 20-hour flight, she crash-landed in Nova Scotia. Despite falling short of her goal, she had become the first woman to cross the Atlantic east to west solo, and the first person to make it from England to North America non-stop. Check out West with the Night and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. Before you go, don't forget to go and register for the upcoming webinar, Four Simple Proven Methods to Writing the First Chapter of Your Life Story in Just Seven Days. Head over to stacybrookman.com slash webinar for that. And remember, life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours.